Hello and welcome to Calling All Cars from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. If you are, 
I sincerely hope that you will cooperate with them in bringing to justice the criminals they seek, whether petty thieves or murderers. A few nights before Christmas, three years ago, Alfred Kahn, the proprietor of a malt and bottle supply store on South Vermont Avenue, is preparing to close up shop when a pair of young men walk into the place. Oh. Oh, good evening, boys. Anything I can do for you? Don't make no noise. He wants to go. Huh? Hand it over. Well, well, what do you call it? Pull! Yeah, don't you understand English? This is a hold-up. See this gap? We mean business. Well, where's that go? Sir, I, I tell you, I, I haven't any money. Sir, this is so good to say. I ain't taking in much. All right, shut up. There's a guy for just about. Go through it. I'll take care of this guy. Okay. Now you'll get back there in the washroom. Look here, boys. I ain't got no money here. I swear. Shut up. I... Get in there and stay there. Listen, you oh, I ain't joking. You stay in there or I'll blow your head off. How about it, Bob? I got all the answers. Okay, let's cram. There's no way to lock that door from the outside. Help! Police! Robbers! I didn't. 
The manager of the apartment house says there's never been anyone called Arrington to live there since he took the place over six years ago. That's a bad break. If those birds aren't rounded up tonight, we won't have a chance in a thousand of finding them. Maybe the fingerprints in that billfold and gun have made something. I'll call Barlow. Hello, Barlow. Taylor speaking. Get me prints from that billfold or revolver? Oh, yeah. Okay. Goodbye. Prints were too smart to do any good. Yeah. Like the cards are stacked against us in this deal. No. Wait a minute. Let me see the receipt for that radio. Hmm? Oh, yeah. Here I see. Hmm. A great Western furniture company. Now, listen, Baggett. Take this receipt and go down there. Find out who that radio was sold to and what address it was delivered to. Yeah, but that place is probably closed. Well, there'll be a night watchman around there. Talk to him. Get to the man who sold that radio. We've got to get this thing tonight. Somebody wanting to buy a Christmas radio. <laughs> they pester me half the night this time of year. Uh, yes, officer, just uh, step inside. I'll shut the door. Thanks. I'm trying to run down the sale of a radio. He's the receipt for it. Can you tell me who might have sold that machine? Well, now, uh, let me see. Uh-huh. This number here. 1768, is it? Yeah. Well, that's the salesman's number. Let's just look in my book here. Yeah. Here we are, 176A. Here's uh, Harry Dobbs. Well, can you get, get him on the phone for me? Yes, I think I can. Uh, just uh, step back here, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, wait a minute, I'll switch on this light. Uh, here you are. Uh, three, two, one, four, three. Uh. Ah, they're, they're ringing them now. Hmm. Hello, Mr. Dodds. This is Lieutenant Baggett of the Los Angeles Police Force. I'm trying to get a line on the purchase of a radio sold by you on November 16th. Yeah, I have the receipt here for a Parnassus portable model made out to William Arrington. You do? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Wait until I get that written down. Yeah, go ahead. There's the address. Fine. The whistle on. Fine. No, I can't stop to tell you what it's about now. Just read tomorrow morning's paper. In a very few moments, the detectives are interviewing the landlady at Whistler Boston. Well, there's nobody but the name of Arrington lives here. Are you sure of that, ma'am? Yes, but the name lived here before. You see, I just took the house over two weeks ago. Well, who was the landlady before you? Mrs. Rudolph Frank. And where does she live? Well, now, let's see. Oh, yes. She's at the Orange Hill apartment house now. Orange Hill apartment. That's fine. Come on, boys. We're going to interview Mrs. <laughs> Yes, 
Yes, there was a Mr. Ellington who lived there with his wife. He had a double partner who showed Mr. and Mrs. O'Neill. And they you said... say they've moved, Mrs. Fang? Yes, a few days ago. Well, they can were... you imagine that? Ellington was about 25 years of age. How tall was he? Oh, I should say about six feet, and he had black eyes. What did O'Neill look like? Well, I should say he was younger, around 21 or 2. He had light brown hair, and his teeth sort of stuck out. Would you call him a blonde? Well, some would have guessed. He was a good deal lighter than Arrington. You had no idea where these people went, huh? No, no, I haven't. But he took the suitcases in the radio and called a taxi cab and drove away. Taxi cab? What kind of taxi cab? Why, um... Um, You've got to remember, Mrs. Fang. Well, I, I do remember well, it. What kind was it, Ron? A green top. Yeah, I, I'm sure. It was a green top. That's fine, Mrs. Fang, and thanks a million. Come on, boys, down to the green top office. In a very short time, the driver who called for Evington and O'Neill and their wives is located in faces of questioning detectives. Now listen, Blackie. A lot depends on your memory. Within the last week, did you answer a call to the Orange Hill apartments and take away two couples from two cases and a radio? Let's see. It uh, seems to me I did. Yeah, that was last Thursday, wasn't it? It might have been. Sure, I remember that, Kurt. Where'd you take them? Let me look at my book a minute. Yeah, yeah here it is. They went to the Shropshire apartments on West 6th Street. Oh, yeah, that was where I carried their radio all the way back to apartment three. And all this guy gives me is a dime. The radio was heavy, too. And then one of the broads asked me to connect it up. The noise. What did these men look like? Sort of tough guys. But they could be cut down to size. One of them had black hair and the other sort of meh color. Don't you get what I mean? Yeah, I guess we do. You remember anything else, Blackie? No, I guess that's about all. Okay, Blackie, and thanks. Not at all, not at all. Never hurts to be on the right side of the fence, if you get what I mean. Well, boys, let's get started for that Sixth Street spot. <laughs> Look there, following each meter through, the detectives arrive to stop their apartments on 6th Street. Yeah, it's almost 11 o'clock. You suppose this is one of those places where they lock the doors after 10? I hadn't thought about that. Oh, it is. Oh, you have to ring the bell. No, wait a minute. That might spill the beans. We've got to get in there. Who is it? You fellas wait here. I'll see if I can get in the back way. Okay. Ryan lets himself in by the back door of the apartment house and a moment later admits his colleagues to the front entrance. They look about for the manager's apartment. Here it is, number two. Who is it? Open up, ma'am. The police officer. The police? Well, what's the matter? What's the matter? What's happened? I want to know. Nobody's in the hall. I want to know what's the matter. Now tell me this minute. I want to. Have to be more quiet. Well, all right, all right. Well, but don't you inside. Inside. Yes, That's a good idea. You stay out here in the hall, Baggett. Let us know if you see anyone that resembles a suspect. Okay. You don't mind, ma'am. We step inside. But I wasn't expecting visitors. Well, I hardly know what to do. Don't mind us, ma'am. We're just folks. Oh, all right. Now, for land's sake, what is the matter? Well, ma'am, 
Have you a couple of tenants by the name of Arrington and O'Neill? Uh-huh. Possibly accompanied by their wives? Yeah, they're here. Uh-huh. What? Well, what have they done? Well, there was a nasty shooting and stabbing scrape over on Vermont early this evening. And one man was killed. And them fellas did it. Well, we don't know about that. But we want to talk to them. Are they in your apartment now? Well, I don't think so. I saw them go out about 9 o'clock, all four of them. And I ain't heard them come back yet. Oh, great Scott, Inspector. Do you suppose they've rammed on us again? Are you certain they'll be back, ma'am? Well, I hope so. I'd hate to be beat out of my rent. Wouldn't be so hard for them to sneak out of the back way with their grip. No, I've had it happen before. I'll just take a look in their apartment right now. Now, wait a minute. Let's see. Here. Here's the key, number three. We'll go with you, ma'am. Well, all right. Anything up, Baggett? Well, all quiet. Good. Keep your eyes open. We're going back to look at the apartment, right? Yes. Here we are now. Number three. With our, our knock first. Are you pleased, right? I am. I guess they're not here, all right. Here, wait, wait. Wait until I switch on the light. Now, well, that's better now. Let's see. Well, I guess they'll be back. Look, here's their clothes in the closet, and their radio's still here. That's fine. Now we'll just wait here, ma'am, until they get back. Well, what can I do? You can help most of you just remain quietly in your apartment. Well, all right. But look here. Don't you go messing up this place. Don't worry, we won't. No, it's uh, You ask that officer who's at the door to step back here. Oh, all right. Looks like these birds are wise to the racket, all right. Jumping around from one place to another every week or two. Time to move every time a poor job, huh? What a life. One skip ahead of the law. You'd think they'd learn. Yeah, but they're too stupid. You've got to be stupid to be a crook. I guess you're right there, Frank. Want to me, Inspector? Yes, Bill. You wait in the landlady's apartment. Keep watching when you see this bunch come in. Give them plenty of time to get back here. We'll be waiting for them. All right. Oh, let's get the lay of this place. There's a two-double apartment. I guess you the first door here connects with the other half of the establishment. Locked from the other side. Oh, then they might come in from the other apartment, huh? They might. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> let me get at that lock. I think I can pick it open. Might just as well have something to do while we're waiting. For an hour and a half, the two detectives wait. Then, at half past midnight, they hear footsteps. Exchanging a meaningful glance, they draw their guns. Wait a minute. Stop that man, Bill. Do that. Put your hands behind you and turn around. Come on. Stand still. Here's a pair of bracelets for you. Shut up. What's this all about? That's what you're going to tell us. Keep your eye on this bug and these gals here, Bill. Come on, Inspector. Let's get the other guy. There he goes in that taxi with the lights off. Well, can you imagine that? Well, come on. Let's hurt the rest of them in. Did you see him? 
No, he made his getaway in the cab. He didn't go through here. I was watching the door after they came in. Might have seen him. Yeah, he got out somewhere. Maybe you wounded him, Inspector, huh? I'm afraid not. Those shots were fired at the lock that jammed when I tried to get out of the apartment. Not at our departed friend. Although Neil readily admits his identity, he denies all knowledge of or complicity in the murder of the young Deputy Marshal or shooting of Albert Kahn. The next day, Lieutenant Ryan takes O'Neill to the Cedars of Lebanon Hospital to face his victim of the previous night. You may come in now, Lieutenant. Thank you. Yes. It's gone. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I'm pretty weak. But all in all, not too bad. Oh, sure. He looks well. He's going to be out of here in no time. I hope so. Who's this is Aha, the robber. So you've caught them. Uh, good business with this, Lieutenant. This, uh, this is the man that held you up then, huh? Uh, uh, that's one of them. He tried to kill me. But it was the black heaven that shot me. The guy's Troy. I never seen him before in my life. You, you, you tried to deny it. You little puppy. If I invited there, I... Mr. Carl, you must be quiet. You'd better go, Lieutenant. Very well. Come on, O'Neill. <laughs> Well, Inspector, Mr. Khan just identified O'Neill as one of the two men who robbed and shot him. Is that correct, O'Neill? I guess I'm hooked, all right. Yeah. Are you ready to stop? Yeah, I guess so. Hand me Mr. Nogopher to take a statement. How much did you get for this job, O'Neill? Twelve bucks was my cut. Bill said he lost all the silver in the fight, and we only had $24 in table when we got back. Twelve bucks for a human life, huh? Well, that guy had no right button in. Where's Bill going, O'Neill? How should I know? Are you sure you don't know? If I did, I wouldn't tell you, Dick. You've got me? Aren't you satisfied? No. Are you? You want to take this rap by yourself? What difference does it make? Besides, I don't know where Bill's gone. Only I'll bet he gets as far away from Los Angeles as possible. On um, $12. $12 will take some guys a long way. O'Neill is booked on a charge of suspicion of murder. His wife and Harrington's girlfriend are held two days as material witnesses. But when they convince the police that they know nothing about the case, they are released. With only O'Neill in custody, the work of the police is but half finished. Ryan ponders ways and means of arriving at a complete solution of the crime. Inspector, I'm convinced that this other man, Harrington, or Bill, or whatever his name is, has a criminal record. Yes, but how are you going to locate him with nothing more than an eyewitness description? Well, there is a way. <laughs> May take years. What's that? I'm going to start with the mug book of the hold-up men, and I'm going to ask those witnesses one by one to go through them with me until we find the man we want. Go to it. 
Shouldn't have come by way of Salt Lake City, where to pick up the bad bag. Well, that's one way of explaining it. Hey. Hey, tell me, Ryan. Did anyone ever get away with one of those Oregon boots locked on them? Let me see. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I believe there was a case four or five years ago up in Idaho. Fella got away and they didn't find him until three years later. Well, how did he get the boot off? He didn't. It was still locked around the skeleton of his leg. Both of these men were brought before justice to answer for their crimes, which they did in full on October the 2nd, 1931, when they were hanged in Fulton Prison. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, don't miss the thrilling suitcase next week. Read about it and the many other pieces which are now being broadcast twice each week in the new September issue of the Calling All Cars News. Any Rio Grande dealer will gladly give you a free copy of this unique publication of illustrated crime, movie, and radio news. Boys and girls will find a full page of gifts, which are offered free to all users of Rio Grande Craft Gasoline. Every time you purchase gasoline, you help some youngster get a junior detective outfit by merely specifying Rio Grande Craft. And you do yourself a favor as well. For no other gasoline on this market can give you greater speed or power. Very few brands can even equal the outstanding performance of Rio Grande Craft. It costs no more to get the only gasoline that gives you police car performance. Rio Grande dealers, all of them independent merchants, unite in recommending Sinclair motor oil to their customers. From practical experience, they have learned the folly of using oils that contain wax and useless petroleum jelly. At last, they have de-waxed, de-jellied oils made by Sinclair, which cost only 25 cents and 30 cents a quart in steel cans. Every Rio Grande dealer urges you to use Sinclair motor oil because you can unqualifiedly guarantee that it will never fail to lubricate your motor collector. Grandi Oil Company.